Hello, my name is Christopher Domicio, and this is my novel, a very good novel, Coronavirus. Uh, if you'd like to see the whole thing and hear the previous podcasts, which are the prologue and chapters one through eight, you can find them all at averygoodnovel.com. This is chapter nine. Don't mess with the post office. On April 24th, Donald Trump said, the post office is a joke. It wasn't the first time he'd said such things, but this time he'd gone too far. In his quest to one-up Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon and the Washington Post, a paper that was notoriously critical of him, Trump was going after the U.S. Post Office. Every time they deliver a package for Amazon, they lose money. Again, it wasn't the first time he'd said such things, but it was the context. The United States was in a self-induced financial crisis over shutting down the entire country in a panicked effort to control the spread of COVID-19. Bailout money was being handed out on an unprecedented scale. Trump wasn't against bailing out companies that he or his family had invested in, but when it came to bailing out the post office, he refused. Bailing out the post office was the same thing as handing Jeff Bezos a big fat check, a check that would make him that much more successful and wealthy than Trump. Unthinkable. Technically, his advisors had told him to leave Bezos and Amazon alone. Hanging the U.S. Pentagon's Jedi contract over in front of Amazon had finally gotten them to sign off on the MAGA pact, but things were still tenuous. Technically, the Jedi contract had already gone to Microsoft's Azure cloud division, but there were deals in the works to strip a large portion of that away from them and hand it to Amazon. Trump hated the whole thing. He was trying to find a way he could attack Amazon, and then any he had done so. He'd attacked Amazon with some success in 2018, which had gradually eroded away. He'd forced his generals in the Pentagon to give the Jedi contract to Microsoft instead of Amazon, and he never missed an opportunity to take a swipe at the Washington Post. None of it had impacted Bezos' portion as the richest and most successful man in the world, which Trump took as a direct insult. So when the post office approached the Treasury and requested financial assistance to continue paying pensions, delivering mail, and doing everything else the post office did, Trump didn't see a foundational institution of U.S. history. Instead, he saw a chance to stick it to that fucking Bezos. He had a secondary reason that actually might have been more compelling than the primary, but which carried less emotional ammunition. The Democrats were increasingly clamoring for a mail-in vote in the 2020 election, something that would hurt all the traditional election rigging that all of his cronies were engaged in. The USPS Postal Union almost immediately began a counter-campaign, U.S. mail not for sale. Postal workers across the nation began mobilizing and organizing on a scale not seen before. The postman's master general, incidentally, the second highest paid federal employee, second only to the president himself, unsealed the plan which had been prepared for a moment such as this. The plan had been started by Ben Franklin himself and further developed by every postmaster general since. It was simply called Reorientation Plan 1-75 or ROP-1-75. The 75 stood for the term of postmaster general. Megan J. Brennan was the first female postmaster general, but it was the 75th term of the office. Ben Franklin had been first. Within 24 hours, the post office was on the largest hiring spree in the history of the USA. The majority of new hires were military veterans with combat experience. The justification for this hiring spree was to deal with increased home delivery as a result of stay-at-home orders and people using services such as Amazon, eBay, etc. The union presented a petition to Congress which demanded urgent and ongoing financial support from the federal government during the public health and economic crisis. 
In the petition, they documented the extremely high number of veterans who relied on the post office to take care of their families. It was a threat, but Congress, and no one else actually, saw it as such. Trump was holding a $10 million loan over the post office while he tried to get them to hurt his rivals. The Postal Service was having none of it. Postal training took on some new and unique characteristics. It was customary to train new postal workers how to deal with an active shooter, dogs, or other dangerous situations. But with the new situation on the ground, a whole new threat level was included under the justification that stay-at-home orders were making people a little stir-crazy. Tax day had been pushed back from April 14th to July 14th. And while a large number of Americans filed electronically, there were still a majority who used the post office to send in their taxes. This little fact might have been an important one for Trump to remember when he began to attack the post office. That and the fact that all of the campaign materials he was using during the pandemic as an excuse to send out voters' uh, campaign materials on the government's dime, well, they were all supposed to be delivered by the post office as well. He would have been surprised to find that most of them, the cards with his name and picture on them, were still sitting in bags marked delivery delayed due to COVID-19. After that first encounter on Bob's porch, Bob and Zeta became good friends. In the early days of the pandemic, before social distancing came into play, Zeta would come over on his days off and the two would smoke weed and talk about the state of the world. Zeta had been a psychonaut before starting to work for the post office, and much to Bob's surprise, he knew quite a bit about Salvia. She's pretty well documented, man. Zeta said to Bob after hearing about his Salvia experience with Gaia. She appears to people either dressed in white or green. Some people think she's the Virgin Mary, while others claim that she's a Mazatec goddess. I thought I saw her once, but every time I've smoked Salvia, I've felt her there. Tell me more. Bob told Zeta everything, and when he finished, he waited to hear his new friend express either concern or a desire to no longer be friends. Instead, Zeta was all in. Yep. I knew it. I knew that motherfucker was the Antichrist. I could feel it in my bones. To be honest, all black people, we all know it. Maybe all brown people, or all people. The people that choose to follow him, they just aren't delusional, man. They're fucking evil. It's like they aren't even real people anymore. It's like they've given him their souls, and now they can only do what he tells them to do. Bob wasn't surprised to hear this, but what came next was a shocker. She gave you a mission, man. You have to take it. We have to do this. We need to clean you up and get you presentable, man, because no one's going to follow the lead or take orders from some dirty hippie. Zeta looked at Bob with something like shock at his own words. I mean, sorry, man. You do kind of fit the bill for the dirty hippie thing. Bob had never influenced anything else to do with it in his life. He had shocked looked on his face, which Zeta had misinterpreted. He wasn't shocked at being called a dirty hippie. That was how he self-identified. He was shocked at the realization that he was no longer a lone unit in the world. Zeta had joined him. He was part of a team. And not only that, Zeta acknowledged him as the leader of the team and seemed to think he had it in him to lead more people. That was shocking. Bob didn't know, but he'd been changed in many ways by his encounter with Gaia. She dosed him with a huge level of charisma and an infectious ability to influence other people. If Bob had come out of this trip and engaged in becoming the best vacuum or used car salesman in the world, he would have succeeded. If he would have entered politics or religion, his success would have been astounding. Bob was a slacker, though, and that was part of the reason she'd chosen him. Most leaders lead by shaping the views of their followers, but Bob would lead by letting his followers shape the views of their movement. He was charisma without an agenda, something that's so rare in the world that it doesn't even have a name. There were leaders who had tapped into it before, but none of them had the same historical circumstances nor true urgency that existed in the world that Bob was in. Cleaned up, Bob asked. What sort of look should I go for? Let's workshop this, Zeta said. I'd like you to meet some of my friends. When Gaia set Bob loose in the world, it was a dangerous gamble. She knew that he was a ticking time bomb, and if he'd been recruited by racists, religionists, or any other group with a negative political agenda, he would have become a powerful force for evil. 
Gaia, however, knew a thing or two about balance. The world was far too heavily weighted towards the negative at the time that she met Bob, and the universe always sought balance and a sense of equilibrium. Gaia had high confidence that Bob would end up being a heavy hitter on the side of the light. The world would bring Bob to where he needed to be, and he would act as a weight on the side of goodness. She knew this was the outcome, but at the same time, even when you're a conscious planet, it's impossible to know the future. Playing dice with the universe is always a gamble because there are no known outcomes, only probabilities. That's it, guys. Chapter 9. Tune in next time for Chapter 10. And if you want to see the whole thing, go to AVeryGoodNovel.com. Aloha.